With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hartz, and today we have our DFS edition of the show. Hope you guys enjoyed that thrilling matchup between the Texans and Panthers last night and really got, you know, a good good long look at Davis Mills' long neck, but we are not talking about that right now. You can tune into our injury podcast. That'll be up Friday night, Saturday morning for some usage thoughts on that matchup. Today's goal is to try to help win you some money over at DraftKings. So I am joined as always, on this podcast by Mr. Andrew Erickson, PFF analyst, international superstar, whatever you want to call him. Andrew, how's it going, my friend? International superstar. I love that, man. I, I, I know that, you know, football is getting more popular in England and across in, in Western Europe. So I'm, I'm happy to fill the role as the next fantasy football superstar internationally. I'll be that guy. I love our uh, our Aussie friends. There's a big football market in Australia. I've also seen the Brazil uh, pages go in a lot. One time, I did actually take Andrew a couple quarters of Portuguese in college. Uh, I got good grades, didn't exactly learn the language, but I remember at one point trying to like interact with the Brazilian uh, folks on Twitter, and I thought the ja 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 like the J A was Portuguese or something for ha ha, and I just got completely roasted because apparently that's an entire thing in the Spanish language and I could be even telling the story wrong. So point of the story is I need to talk about football, not other language practices because that is not my strength. So Andrew, as always, we will be going through the DraftKings slate, kind of giving our thoughts on the cash and tournament side of things. For those that are a little bit new to DraftKings, cash games refer to head-to-heads, double-ups, basically games that we're just trying to set the floor as high as possible. GPP, tournament games, that's when we're trying to take down, beat hundreds of thousands of people. So we got to be a little bit contrarian to try to get that goal accomplished. So Andrew, we're going to start things off with the cash lineup idea and Pretty hard to get away from Mr. Justin Fields at 5,200, huh? I think that it's the lock button for for quarterback for cash. I don't think we need to overthink it. He's very cheap at 5,200, like you said, and he's a mobile quarterback, and he's not going to be this cheap ever again in the history of DraftKings. So just play him. I don't really think it goes – I don't think it really needs to be super complicated where you're trying to figure out, you know, which do I pay up a quarterback? You know, usually you want to pay up for a safe quarterback. The last two weeks we've been – touting Jalen Hurts because he's been a Russian guy and last week he wasn't even that good as a passer but he got it down on the ground and now you get a cheaper version of Jalen Hurts in Justin Fields who's $1,200 cheaper than Jalen Hurts was last week and it's the exact same strategy behind it you know he's rushed 11 times already this season and I just think that it makes too much sense in the preseason he was running a lot 
that was something that he was doing more than Trey Lance, which is actually why I changed them in my rankings. I actually put Justin Fields ahead of Trey Lance in my season along rankings, because I just thought, look, when Fields gets to play, like he's going to run significantly more. The offensive line is not good for the bears. So I just think it's, it's too easy to go with Justin Fields who also has the league's highest average depth of target at 10.5 and Andy Dalton ironically has 4.6, which is dead last in the league. So you don't only get the rushing equity, but you get a quarterback who's going to attack downfield. He's got good receivers that can win downfield with Allen Robinson and Darnell Mooney. And I mean, the Browns defense does not look great. Third most fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks for the past two weeks, PFF's 25th ranked coverage unit. So I don't see why I think it's really simple. I think you should have confidence in starting fields in your cash lineups. Yeah, that's the part, the argument I don't understand. Like, if people really want to say, hey, you know, in redraft, especially like Kirk Cousins, Stafford versus Fields, it's an argument. I think they're in that same tier. But this idea that we need to fade Fields because they're facing the Browns, like, what? I agree that this defense has gotten a lot better on paper from last year to this year. They gave up 33 to Kansas City. Everyone gives up 30-plus to Kansas City. But Tyrod Taylor and company found the end zone twice in about 20 minutes against this defense before he unfortunately suffered that hamstring injury. So, yeah, there are a couple situations where defenses maybe can really, you know, play a larger role than just a tiebreaker in rankings. This is not one of them, Andrew. And it's not even like... Like, it's funny because we're using with Fields, we're using Jalen Hurts, who was, you know, one of the worst graded quarterbacks really in our database last year as a rookie, and Taysom Hill, who, you know, had no business playing, be, ever being a starting quarterback in the NFL, I think is pretty safe to say. Like, we're using these two horrendous examples as the floor for what Justin Fields could be. What? He was our highest graded college football quarterback. He he has some of these stats that basically show how high his ceiling is as a passer. And we're not even worried about that. We're worried about this rushing floor, which is why we're starting him. Jalen Hurts last year, QB 11, QB 1, QB 12 and 3 starts. Taysom Hill, QB 3, QB 11, QB 7, and QB 9. So you said it, Andrew. It's that simple. When we get a cheap quarterback in line for double-digit carries, he's going to be just fine. I even think his passing production was far better last week than the box score indicated. Allen Robinson dropped a touchdown. Darnell Mooney dropped a deep pass down the sideline and you know looking ahead to the rest of our cash lineup that we want to build out having a rob at 6200 having mooney all the way down there i'm trying to remember where he's at in the 4k range i believe 43 43 like we couldn't ask for easier guys to be able to stack him with and fields i don't think you have to go out of your way to necessarily um stack guys with them because we have that rushing floor but it's a very easy lineup to make i'm not worried about the matchup yeah it just makes too much sense for me i don't even you know the last two weeks i've had darnold and bridgewater and you know, they, they both performed okay but i do think it's fields because if you look at the other quarterbacks like we feel comfortable with i think we have to go all the way up like to russell wilson at 7600 before we find someone else that we could feasibly put in cash games maybe the daniel jones crowd out there at 5800 has something to say with that but yeah i think fields with the price with the rushing and with the non-concerning matchup all in on him in cash games now andrew i know you got something to say about the artist known as danny dimes not in cash though let's talk uh why you like danny dimes as new york giants offense attorneys i mean what's not to like about daniel jones this week pff's second highest graded quarterback over the first two weeks yeah, no, Daniel Jones, the same guy that everyone seems to just not want to play, despite the fact that he's, oh, I don't know, playing the Atlanta Falcons, who have been the worst defense against quarterbacks this year, giving up 30 fantasy points per game to the position, or the fact that Daniel Jones, you know, is third in rushing yards among quarterbacks. But no, 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 I can't, I can't play Daniel Jones because now he's Daniel Jones. It's like, oh, no, no, like play Daniel Jones. I, I don't get this, the hate for this guy who 
is one of the more fun fantasy players at the quarterback position. Like he has the whole package. Like he throws the ball downfield. He runs the ball with his legs. He has the best matchup you could humanly ever ask for. And the thing that makes him different than in like past years where people have been so hesitant to play him. And I think kind of what I'm kind of like pinpointing is the reason why he's actually been more productive, especially this season where he's already averaged, Oh, 25 fantasy points per game. He's literally a top five quarterback. And he did that against the Denver Broncos and the Washington football team, two really, really good defenses. Like I was concerned about Jones. I was like, okay, like the first two weeks are going to be rough, but he gets the Falcons week three. And I think that's a good spot, you know, where people can kind of like buy back into Daniel Jones. Like I was already wrong about the first two matchups. Like I thought he was going to be terrible against those two teams. And then he just completely shocked me and was actually productive in both of those matchups because of the rushing. And because he's using all the weapons around him. Look, Jones, 23.3 fantasy points per game in 12 games played with Saquon Barkley. Last seven games played with a healthy Sterling Shepard, 21 fantasy points per game. Like part of the reason why he was bad last year was because he got hurt and couldn't run. And he, all of his weapons were hurt. Like I, I still don't know how many games he's played with Evan Ingram, Saquon Barkley and Sterling Shepard all on the field at the same time. Like it's not even, you can't even count on one hand how many games that that, that has actually happened to Daniel Jones. So I, I'm going to play him. I, I see his roster percentage. It's like a sub 2%. And I, I'm like, whatever, fine. I'll, I'll take the guy that they're now coining. I saw the nickname vanilla, vanilla Vic. Saw that nickname thrown out there on Twitter. So don't know who said it, but that's why I'm going to play in tournaments because I think he's got sky high upside. He's got all the weapons. He's got the best matchup. He's already put the production against better defenses. So yeah, dude, Daniel Jones, man. And the only reason why people won't play him is because, well, you know, he's Daniel Jones. Like, okay. Well, PFF second highest graded quarterback looks pretty good to me. I wish we had some better counting numbers through the air in the past, you know, 16 games he's been out there. We haven't seen Danny Dimes get to three passing touchdowns or 300 passing yards since 2019. Hey, the Russian stuff is impossible to ignore. I think Next Gen Stats told us last year he was the fastest man ever to live <laughs> after he had that uh, long run against the Eagles where he got tripped up. Yeah, man, I, I think it works for a tournament, particularly if the roster ship uh, is going to be low. I do just wonder if you want to take these down, like how low can you really go when we got guys like Kyler just going absolutely bonkers at the start. But yeah, I mean, it allows you to get up to Henry, to Cook, and Shepard, and Galladay. It's similar to Fields and similar to the next guy I'm going to talk about where when you can get your quarterback his wide receiver one, his wide receiver two, all for a pretty affordable price. That kind of allows you to go up and get those other studs in your lineup. So the other quarterback I'm going to talk about, don't throw up people, Jared Goff, 5,200. You know who also has been putting up some pretty good numbers this year, Andrew? Jared Goff, QB8 and QB11 in fantasy football land through the first two weeks. Has it been pretty? Of course not. He's been in negative comeback mode script like the entire second half, at least for the fourth quarter of that Packers game. So, and again, it just it's even a little bit less about Goff and more about how his targets are going. We can get him, DeAndre Swift at 5,800, TJ Hawkinson at just 5,200. Like, we're going to see Hawkinson's price get in that 6K range. He didn't get the massive, you know, push this week from playing on Monday Night Football. But I think as we see, you know, these Lions continue to feed him and Swift in the passing game, these guys are going to, you know, see that price really get up there in future weeks. So it's probably our last time to take advantage of that. 
I think Baltimore wins, but this is just a situation, man, where they're coming off such an emotional win over the Chiefs. The defense hasn't really looked good all year because they're so banged up. If you don't have Marcus Peters and Jimmy Smith, there's only so much Marlon Humphrey can do. So with Goff, might not be pretty, but guys, it hasn't been pretty all year, and he has been the source of some fancy goodness. So again, Goff, Swift, Hawkinson, Jones, Shepard, Galladay. These are all stacks that give you some nice hidden upside and allow you to go up and get the rest of the studs that you want to try to fit in to the lineup. So, Andrew, let's talk some RBs now. And before we do anything, I think we need to ask ourselves a question because this is kind of where people lost their money last week. Is this a Derrick Henry week or not? Because if it is, we got to get there. And if it's not, then we can talk otherwise. But seeing him as a home favorite over an Indianapolis team that looks like they have no chance of keeping up on the scoreboard, Andrew, I almost, and we'll see on Dalvin Cook. He's not practicing today. That could make our life a lot easier if he ends up being ruled out uh, for this week. Then we can go down and get Alexander Madison and pay up a little bit easier with Derrick Henry. But what are your thoughts here on Henry this week? And why, if any reason, can you come up with, should we not be jamming him in the cash lineups? I mean, into cash lineups, yeah. I think that if he's going to be, you know, 20, 25% rostered, then it doesn't hurt you at all to play him. And if he only has like a, a mediocre game for Derrick Henry standard where he doesn't necessarily score. He rushes like 80 yards. You know, that's not going to kill you. You're going to be fine. Again, if Dalvin cook is healthy, I still prefer him. Cause I just like his role more in the offense. I know that he's always involved in the passing game where Derrick Henry has, it seems like it's, it's a newfound role with him. We'll see. We got one kinda, week. <laughs> yeah. We'll see if it sustains. I'm, I'm, I just kind of want to see it a little bit more before I'm like, all in. yep. Derrick Henry, the pass catching running back for the Tennessee Titans. I just do want to see a little bit more. And the fact that in Tulsa, like in tournaments as well, the his ownership you know whenever he's like five if he's always sub five percent like that's when you play him and then he just murders everyone that doesn't play him but then when he's much more chalky it, you don't really have that leverage anymore about you know why he makes such a big difference in in dfs so i think i still lean towards cook like you mentioned the injury we'll keep that up and monitor but you know we've seen this down cook before where you know he's on the injury report but if he plays like he'll he's full go and and they they're very careful to like sit him just like randomly during the week during the season we're like no like he's not good to go so we're not playing him take the week off get healthy and then we'll be back to the full workload the next week so if he plays i feel good about dalvin cook firing him back up but if not then yeah i'll move up to derrick henry the other guy you wanted to talk about with the cash lineup is mr austin eckler got back on the receiving box score in a major way one of these weeks, we are going to get him having the five-plus catches and also getting the goal line carries and getting that you know somewhat elusive overall RB1 finish he's been chasing this year. Man, it's one of the highest-scoring games potentially between the Chargers and Chiefs. All guns up on Austin Eckler? Yeah, I, I think that he has shown us through these first two weeks that he's on a three-down back. like He's involved in all facets of the game. He's gotten goal line carries, he's gotten targets, just not at the same time. But but eventually those things will overlap at some point because clearly the Chargers are not enamored by Justin Jackson or Roundtree. Like, you know, Roundtree after week one is like, oh, like, here's the backup. Like, it's Roundtree. And pick, people picked him up. And then it's like, oh, wait, no, then the following week it was Justin Jackson who ended up playing more than Larry Roundtree did. So, you know, they're not looking to get these other running backs involved. You know, it's a concentrated target share between Eckler, Mike Williams, Keenan Allen. So we know where the ball is going. And that's the best part about targeting these players for DFS because we know where the touches are going. And we know that Eckler is efficient. Like he's already rushed for 50 yards in both of his games without just averaging 12 carries per game. So like he's been efficient on the ground, he's efficient through the air. And this is a high scoring affair. Like also the Chiefs defense is not good against running backs. Like they haven't been good against running backs for like 
as long as I can remember, because they just don't care to try to stop the run. And Eckler's involved in the run game, even though most people know him as a pass catcher. So I'm always looking for backs that are involved in all facets. No matter how this game script goes, Chiefs get up big, Chargers get up big. Like Eckler's going to be involved no matter what. So I don't have that concern with him. So I think that's why he's worth paying up for. He's 7,200 on DraftKings and full point PPR. So I think that he has a similar ceiling to some of these 8K plus guys, but he's priced down significantly from those because he just really hasn't had that boom week where the, the goal line, the touchdowns and the receptions have kind of combined. So I think Eckler is really, really safe. So I was trying to do some projected lineups with these guys because obviously we got to make sure everyone's fitting. And if we're going with fields and we say, hey, let's just get all the freaking running backs here, Andrew. Let's get Cook, Henry, and Eckler in there with fields. You can get Hawkinson. You can get Bengals D going up against a banged up uh, Big Ben who hasn't looked good. Get the stack in with Mooney. LaVisca Chenault, who despite his negative receiving yards last week, is still looking like he's in line for seven to eight targets per game. Shoulder issue appears to be a non-issue after he started the week with a full practice. And that still gives you 4,600 to still add another guy. Maybe we even go lower than Visca, and then we can get up into the 5K range and get a little bit uh, better receiver. So I do think it's doable to, again, pay up for all these running backs, particularly with Fields and Mooney, if you don't feel like you need to have a super high-priced wide receiver. So if you want to go that route in cash, I do think it's doable. I guess the question, though, Andrew, is do we want to do that or do we want to replace one of those top three backs with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who is egregiously underpriced at 4,800, or is he? I, I just think that in addition to the Henry question, like this Clyde question is the next big one because, my goodness, like the usage has kind of been there this year. It should result in touchdowns eventually. We're talking about the Chiefs' lead running back. My problem with Clyde is this is no longer a guy that is just getting unlucky with things. He like Last year, he had the goal line mishaps, and he had Le'Veon Bell come. This year, he's legit maybe been the single worst running back in the NFL by just about any metric. Dead last in PFF rushing grade, tied for 46 among 51 backs and missed tackles force per carry, 3.3 yards per carry, 50th in yards after contact per carry. Like, when people talk about Clyde, they're usually quick to give him credit on being this elusive guy that can break tackles. He hasn't even been doing that this year. Like, it has just been horrendous. Hey, Andrew, like, I don't think Reed, Andy Reid is necessarily going to tell us if, like, Clyde is now in the doghouse for losing them the game last week. That's a possibility. We shouldn't just assume he's going to be the lead RB1 for another week. Are we just straight up fading Clyde even in cash games? Because if we're wrong on this, it's going to be leaving a lot of salary on the table that we could be spending to get up elsewhere. I mean, if you're wrong about Edwards Slayer, what is that going to be like? Oh, well, he scored 15 points. Like, is, is that what we're <laughs> concerned about? I guess that's the thing. Sure. Like, there are just other options I would rather pay than Edwards. I mean, you hit the nail on the head talking about how inefficient he's been. Like, he's just an afterthought in his offense. Like, they don't need him at all. And, and that's kind of what we kind of should have looked at in the first place when they made the pick. It was a luxury pick. It's like, okay, like, we'll add Edwards Hilaire. Like, maybe he can make our offense better. Oh, well, he can't. Oh, well, whatever. Like, we don't need him anyway. <laughs> like, that's kind of how I feel like the Chiefs feel about him right now. Like, having him as a featured part of their offense doesn't matter. They don't need him. So I want to play running backs that are like talked about in the game plan. Like, Hey, we're going to do this and that with this running back. I mean, freaking Cordero Patterson. I know I almost feel more confident about playing him because wow. at least I know like what his, he's going to be involved. Like they're going to get him scheme him touches near the goal line. Uh, like Edward Slayer could be like, Oh, well, no, Daryl Williams is getting the goal line carries. And uh, you're going to just get like in between the, the, the 20 to carries that we don't really want to give to anybody else. I'm going to pass block. Like that's your job this week. So 
I'm out uh, on CEH again. I know the 4,800 price again. It's like, it's like the elephant in the room. It's like the, the DraftKings <laughs> salary setters are like, all right, let's see what we can get people to pay to get CEH back into DFS lineups. And for me, it's like, he was a sit and my stardom sit him this week because I just don't think that, I mean, maybe he's just really not that good. Like, again, I also think that the, there's a that ankle injury he suffered in the preseason could be Didn't a factor. Um, I think that's important to note because again, like you mentioned, like he doesn't look elusive, doesn't look explosive. And if he's hurt, then okay, then that's why. But if he's playing hurt, then we don't want to play him in DFS or, for, or in fantasy yeah. football at all. So, I mean, as, as gross, gross as it sounds like I'd rather pay up to play like Mike Davis or Leonard Fournette, you know, at 5.1 K 5 K or Cordero Patterson at three point or 4.6 K because I feel like those guys just have more juice at this point. Mike Davis's role is more defined. I know that he's going to catch passes from Matt Ryan. Like I don't know if ACH is going to catch passes from Mahomes. Fournette is getting involved. He's getting the love from Brady and Bruce Arians as their lead running back, 15 touches per game. So yeah, I'm out on CEH even at the, the cheap price tag. And if, and if he burns me, like, what does that even mean? Like, like what is his ceiling in a game? Like, do they give the ball to running backs at the goal line? Like he could like 15 points at the ceiling. It's like, okay, like I can make up for that with a receiver or one of these other running backs I mentioned. Chiefs are tied for 25th and goal line carries to their running back since week one. Last year, tied for 20th in receptions by their running backs. Like the days of Jamal Charles and Kareem Hunt just taking over in the passing game are over because they now have Tyreek freaking Hill and Travis Kelsey to throw the ball to. The upside uh, discussion is a very good point. Clyde Eberzelaire in his first career game had over 100 yards in the touchdown. That's the only time he has checked both those boxes in one game. So, yeah, I think I am team. Let's get away from Clyde and cash because we can go cheap at wide receiver in that same 4K price range. Get our Mooney, get our Visca. Emmanuel Sanders is there at 4,200. We got Tyler Boyd at 47. Beasley, Marvin Jones, like... I'm more fine pretty much with those guys, at least relative to, you know, how we're thinking about the pricing and the position value than Clyde, particularly with the amount of advantage we can potentially get on the field if Clyde is as chalky as some of these uh, roster shift projections make him out to be. Let's talk a little GPP, though. Andrew, I was off last week. Jonathan Taylor. Never mind that he has the most red zone carries, most inside the five carries in the league and just has zero touchdowns. We'll take the L. It didn't work out. What about another high-priced running back perhaps going a little bit under-owned because of all the great options around him? Yes, I'm talking about Nick Chubb at home against the Bears a week after he, you know, didn't absolutely ball out, so I think people were disappointed. Never mind he had like 12 touches for 98 yards and a touchdown, I believe, against the Texans. Never mind that he's arguably the single best running back in the league with the ball in his hands. Like, he's facing a Bears defense that is good. Like, Roquan Smith, he's one of the true sideline-to-sideline linebackers in the league at this point. Obviously, Khalil Mack. But with Nick Chubb, it takes one freaking run, man, before you know it, he's 80 yards down the sideline going into the end zone. So, Nick Chubb has a home favorite at 7,600. I think if people are devoting that much money to their running back, they're probably just trying to get an extra thousand, go up to Derrick Henry, even Alvin Kamara, 600 more. Or we're going down to Austin Eckler, we just said all those nice things about, or even lower to Najee Harris, Saquon Barkley. So I think Nick Chubb is in that sweet spot where people might get off him. They're a little too annoyed about the Kareem Hunt uh, involvement there, which is fair, but we're still looking at a back that has legit 200 yard and multiple touchdown upside. You, we, we said, where's the upside with Clyde edwards helaire We know Nick Chubb has it, and the fact that he does seem to be this week's potential Derrick Henry. Last week, I thought the Derrick Henry guy was going to be Jonathan Taylor. So wrong on that, but I do think Nick Chubb fits that same prototype for what we're potentially looking for. And the other guy I would just note, 
What easier way to get away from Clyde, Andrew, than to go up just $100 and get Javante Williams, who looks like the better running back. He has the better matchup against the Jets, and the touch projection really isn't all that different. We're both looking at, you know, around 15 probably combined carries and targets and more, you know, uh, simulations than not. So very excited that we can have both of the PFS top two running backs and miss uh, force broken tackles per carry as great GPP plays this week. So getting off of Clyde, going up to Javante, getting off of, you know, Eckler and Henry and going just right in that middle spot to Nick Chubb, I think makes a lot of sense in tournaments. Are you with me? Yeah, I like the Javante one specifically. I think that's a good pivot off of the chalky CEH because their touch share, their projections are probably going to be pretty similar. And if that's the case, then you just pick the guy that's better. <laughs> and at this point, it looks like Javante Williams is better than Clyde Edwards Lair. Cause again, we talk about usage a lot and it's very important, but there is a factor of talent. And when you got, when you play bad, like that's the easiest chalk to fade is the bad chalk, like players that are bad, that are chalky, like three K receivers that we don't know anything about that become like 30% owned because they're filling in for a superstar. It's like, yeah, I'm not gonna play that guy because he's not good. Like it was the whole really, like, it was the whole reason to fade Russell Gage this season because he's just not good. And now he's he's hurting. Yeah. Uncalled for shot at Russell Gage, <laughs> but that but that aside, uh, let's go through some of your favorite guys. So I like your Saquon Barkley uh, pick here, just sixty five hundred. All the nice things you said about Daniel Jones's matchup against the Falcons also apply to Saquon. Lost in you know the disappointing Thursday night performance last week was the fact that his snaps got back over that eighty percent threshold, and we're now expecting a more well rested, potentially just better health. Version of Saquon Barkley in his best matchup of the season as a home favorite. So definitely with you on Saquon there. Talk to me about Leonard Fournette, though. Someone that hasn't found the end zone yet this year because Tom Brady wants to throw 60 touchdowns. But hey, man, a lot of points to, to be scored. And basically everything I spelled out last week for why I like Jonathan Taylor, just, you know, as good as Aaron Donald and Ramsey are. The Rams aren't exactly a defense that just continuously hold opposing running backs to 20 yards like the Buccaneers. Yeah, it's be, and that's part of the reason they invite the run in. They don't stack the box. They are it's actually them and the Los Angeles Chargers that have the least amount or the least rushing attempts faced with eight men or more in the box. So they have a lot of light boxes and that's where Fournette's been really good this year. You know, if you look at his PFF rushing grade against light boxes, only Nick Chubb has a higher PFF rushing grade. And to kind of bring back Edward Solaire into this conversation, it's interesting because both LA teams do not stack the box, except Clyde Edward Solaire against light fronts is PFF's second worst graded running back. So even with the Chargers, you look at the matchup, it's like, oh, the Chargers give up, you know, the most running, running rushing yards to running backs this year. Oh, that's great. Like fire up CH. It's like, yeah, but that's because they've done it against, because they face good running backs. Like that's why. So, I think that Fournette, he's looked good. Like he is actually graded really well for PFF. I think he's PFF, he's PFF sixth highest graded rusher so far this season. So, I mean, I've been impressed with what I've seen from him out of the gates. He's involved in the passing game. He has nine catches on 11 targets through two weeks of play. And I think that it's weird because Fournette's the only guy that Bruce Arians didn't pump up at all during this offseason, And that should have been the indication that he was the target the entire time he escaped the Bruce Arians death kiss, which is basically like, hell, like Keyshawn Vaughn breakout, done. Giovanni Bernard, massive role, done. Ronald Jones starter, done. But he never said anything about Fournette. And of course, that's why Fournette is the best fantasy option in that backfield at 5K. I like him a lot. You talked about the touchdowns. Like Tom Brady's not going to throw four or five touchdowns every single week. Sorry. 
Like it's not going to happen. I've seen so much Tom Brady where you think you think it's just going to happen every single week. It's not, especially against the Rams defense that has a strong secondary. So if they're not going to be scoring of this projected total of 55 and a half points, they're not scoring through the air. They're going to throw score through the ground, which means Leonard Fournette could see double digit touchdowns or uh, multiple touchdowns in this game. So Fournette at 5k, I think he has really high upside, which I don't think Edwards Lair has. And I think he still has that stigma on him about, you know, all oh, fat Lenny, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, we've seen like extensive, like going back to last year of him being the lead back and being really, really productive. So I, I like Leonard Fournette and this comes from a, pl- a person, an analyst that was not high on him entering the season. So I'm trying to change my view after what I've seen over the past two weeks. Yeah. I mean, with Fournette and Zeke and some of these other guys, like if you just kind of looked at them more as a, just a running back instead of, oh, look at this former number four overall pick and the contracts and all this. I think people would, you know, be a little bit more kind when assessing their skills. Let's move on to some wide receiver talk. So I will just say if we're going with the high priced running back approach, if we want fields, I do think it's very doable to stack fields with Allen Robinson, just 6,200. Again, should have had two touchdowns last week. We were expecting him to catch that ball nine times out of 10. Unfortunately, we had that one instance occur in Fields' first extended appearance. And also Darnell Mooney right there. And we're talking about one of the more condensed passing games in the NFL between A-Rob and Mooney. So I think that's very doable. Uh, If you don't want to go A-Rob, Chris Godwin, I think is fair game. He is the most, you know, well-positioned Buccaneers receiver in terms of just expecting consistency. Antonio Brown was great in week one, busted in week two. Evans was Busted in week one, great in week two. Goblin was the one that was fairly consistent putting up numbers and both. So I think that's fine. Not anticipating him seeing a ton of Jalen Ramsey. Maybe he'll see more than last year. They did have Ramsey shadow Mike Evans last year. But Ramsey also plays a lot in the slot. So obviously the Rams are allowed to change their strategy this time around. I am anticipating Ramsey spending most of his time across from Evans, though. And also, I think these Jaguars receivers, like Marvin Jones at 4,900, he scored twice this year and really looks like the Jaguars' number one receiver at this point. And LaVisca Chanel at 4,400 just to get those targets. Again, I know these aren't the absolute sexiest names, guys, but this is what we need to do to go get Derrick Henry and Dalvin Cook and Austin Eckler into the lineup. We can't just, you know, put the top two guys at every single position in the spot. That's why the salary cap exists for a reason. So that's if we're going fields. Obviously, though, I'm sorry, that's if we're really paying off a running back. Obviously, though, Andrew, people could go down to the Najee Harris, the Saquon Barkley, even the Leonard Fournette tier, maybe even some Clyde Edwards-Alaire truthers out there that then would allow you some extra salary relief. So if you're having a cash lineup with some extra salary to spend at wide receiver, which guys are you trying to prioritize? I think the top of the list for me would be if I'm going like an elite wide receiver, it'd be Tyree Kill, because I think that he's still seeing that high end usage that we want. And it's really interesting because like DeAndre Hopkins is so they're the, the two most expensive guys at above 8K. And Hopkins is not like his targets are like not there. Like he's not seeing like this massive target volume that we've always seen him every single year. And I remember talking about that last year about Hopkins, like, oh, he's gonna have competition for the first time. And I was like totally wrong. And now we're kind of starting to see that a little bit more this year. I mean, he only has, I think it's a around a 17% target share on the season. I mean, he's being out-targeted by Rondell Moore. Like, I get that that's not going to always be the case. Like, yes, Hopkins is probably going to finish the season with more targets than Rondell Moore. I don't think that's a hot take whatsoever. Hot take from Andrew. (laughs) But the fact of the matter is that someone's even like in the range, because usually it's always been him like versus the field. Like it hasn't even been close. So the fact that it is starting to condense a little more where you have Terry Kill, who's, even after basically a dud last week, 
he's still sitting at 28% target share, which is ninth in the NFL. And then a 42% air yard share, which is seventh. Like he's so locked and loaded and especially him coming off like an off game. Like I always want to be on Terry kill after he has a bad game. So I think of the high end receivers, like if you're going to pay up, I think the Terry kill would be my play over someone like Deandre Hopkins. And then going down a little bit further, I think Diggs is in a really good spot. You know, the bills have kind of underwhelmed over the first two weeks. They played really good defenses. So like Diggs. And then in the 6K range, I mean, Cooper Cup should should really be way more expensive than he is. 37% target share over the past two weeks. And there's like no reason to think that his role is going to change anytime soon. Like yeah. he Matthew Stat, like it's a brand new course. So I know that we went into the season thinking, okay, like it's going to be Cup, it's going to be Woods. And like those are going to be the top two guys. But this is a new quarterback. Like this, that like that was true with Jared Goff. So I think we're being kind of too slow to adapt to like. Cup is like the alpha in this offense. Like I, I'm almost willing to like buy into Cup as almost a like a buy high in season long wings where we're looking at 2021's version of last year's Devontae Adams or the year before Michael Thomas, where this is dude just always hits no matter what. So I, I think he's still priced too low at 6,800. Again, we saw the targets go back to Woods last week, but also continue to go to Cooper Cup at 37%, like back to back weeks. Like that's not an anomaly. It's going to continue to happen. Like, why would it change? Like, there's no one coming back into this offense. Like, Tyler Higby, Robert Woods are like nice options, but Matthew Stafford's continuing to feed Cup. And, and Cup is so schematically used by Sean McVay that that's never going to change. Like, he's just not going to not continue to see targets, especially against Todd Bowles. Look at the last two times he's played a Todd Bowles led defense, averages. 10 catches and 133 receiving yards per game in the two games he's played at Tampa Bay where Todd Bowles has been the defensive coordinator. So cup seems just like absolutely locked and loaded. Like I get people might feel, Oh, I missed out on the 40 point game last week. Like I can't go back to it. Now I got to pay up a little bit more. But it's like, he's still, he's still too cheap. Like I, I think you should go right back to Cooper cup. If you have the funds and then the same thing goes for Mike Williams. Like, again, I think Keenan Allen is the number one receiver, but the past two weeks that has not been the case. It has been the Mike Williams show in Los Angeles, he's led the team in target share. And this is going back to the fact where it's a new coaching staff. They told us that Mike Williams is going to see more targets as the X, as the Michael Thomas in his offense. And so far, two weeks through the season, that's literally what's been happening. So I think we need to start to kind of lowering our projections on Keenan Allen just a bit, increasing the gap with Mike Williams, because I think it's a lot closer than the prices would kind of indicate here. So at 61, I'm going right back to Mike Williams, who's actually coming in with really, really low ownership. I don't know why. I mean, they're playing the Kansas City Chiefs and, you know, a 55-point under-over game. So he's really cheap there at 6.12 as well. So I like Mike Williams in that 6K range. I love how we have, I won't name names, but many people on fantasy Twitter trying to victory lap their preseason draft strategies after two weeks of action. <laughs> and we have polar opposites basically just picking and choosing like five players and just ignoring the rest of the thing so if you're a robust rb truther the hot stat is that none of the top six wide receivers in ppr scoring cup locket debo thielen uh cooper williams were drafted before pick 41 but you can also be a zero rb truther and say that through two weeks cordero patterson tony pollard and james white are all top 10 rbs in ppr scoring you know, Andrew, like, why didn't people just pick the best players in uh, in their drafts? Like, I don't get it. How how come, you know, like, how come everyone just didn't avoid Jonathan Taylor and just pick the absolute right guy every time? Infuriating. Like, if you're victory lapping, you're just going to piss off the fantasy football karma gods. That's all it comes down to. And, you know, just try to freaking do fair analysis. It's, it pisses me off. Sorry, had to get that off my chest. Back to the DFS side of things. 
Uh, let's talk some more tournament plays here because I, I saw your list. I like the Kenny Galladay call. That's a fairly easy one to stack with Daniel Jones. We got the squeaky wheel situation occurring after Galladay just, you know, did all of us a favor and was screaming at Jason Garrett on the sideline last week. Um, I would say, though, a couple other guys. I think KJ Hamler at 3,600 was perfect for tournaments. If you look down on that list, Every week, there's a handful of four of sub four K receivers that I think people you know really get into. This week we have Quintez Cephas starting to get some steam at 3900. KJ Osborne 100 below. Campbell is getting a lot of love. Van Jefferson who just had a 90 percent plus snap rate, he's getting some uh, love. And even Michael Hardman at 3900. Hamler is the one that I don't really see getting the same sort of potential roster ship. And yeah, like Tim Patrick got the touchdown last week. Cortland Sutton dominated air yards and everything, but that was just a one week sample. That's not guaranteed to be uh, the way moving forward. We saw Hamler get that every down roll. Now that Judy was out of the picture. And hey, man, like two weeks ago, he dropped a 50-yard touchdown in the preseason game with Drew Locke. He caught one. Like this is a guy that we know has actual multi-touchdown, multiple long touchdown upside in his potential range of outcomes. So love KJ Hamler. Uh, you know, hey, let's get these uh, Broncos guys no one's paying attention to. It's been a good offense this year. And my last point would be, a guy that I loved last week didn't quite pay off, but Chase Claypool, particularly if the, uh, Deontay Johnson is out, I think makes a lot of sense. I know Ben hasn't looked good, but that hasn't stopped him from getting Claypool a shit ton of air yards. He was one of only five receivers last week with over 100 unrealized air yards. Maybe we need to call them prayer yards of Big Ben. I get it. But you, if you watch that game, like a lot of the problem for Claypool was having to go up against Casey Hayward, who is PFF's number one highest-graded cornerback right now. Like, Ben had some terrible plays, but there were also just these jump ball situations where Claypool wasn't able to win. He is someone that I do think is more talented than your normal receiver and to still see him under 6K. Again, like we're looking, you know, like you said with Clyde, we want players that we know have this multiple touchdown over 100-yard upside. We know for a fact Claypool does possess that. So um, also just, yeah, and we, we say this every week, but I, I think it still applies. It's always going to be easier to pay up at running back and pay down at wide receiver. So merely by reversing that, I think helps you make some contrarian lineups. We got Naeem, Naeem Hines, Javante Williams, even James White, Leonard Davis, Mike Davis, or Leonard Davis, Leonard Fournette and uh, Mike Davis. Like we have a good group of backs that aren't even priced higher than 5,200 that we can go fill out the RB spots and then go pay up more at wide receiver. So as always, I think that applies, but yeah, Hamler, Claypool uh, for me are two other good tournament shots. But Andrew, talk to me a little bit about Justin Jefferson, AJ Brown, and DK Metcalf. Some studs that we just haven't seen be quite as studly in the year 2021. Yeah, Justin Jefferson, it's weird because it's it's KJ Osborne. He's like stealing all the touchdowns and all the big plays that we usually would go to, to Justin Jefferson. But Jefferson's still seeing a ton of air yards. And it's the the boom matchup. It's it's the back and forth matchup between the Minnesota Vikings and the Seattle Seahawks. We know that Justin Jefferson broke out this time last year in week three. He had a massive game against the Tennessee Titans. So yeah, every, all the, the peripheral metrics are there for Justin Jefferson. We know he's super talented. It's a high scoring game. And I love going to him in tournaments. And I love bringing it back with, with DK Metcalf. And this is the thing with DK Metcalf. It's it's another Patrick Peterson matchup. You know, that's the thing people are going to bring up. They're going to yeah. talk about how, oh no, here we go. Patrick Peterson, once again, you know, last year, you know, he only held him to five catches for 69 yards. Nice. One touchdown on nine targets. I'm getting and mad with you mocking it, Andrew. I know you're not serious. <laughs> it's still making me mad. Well, that's the thing. Like, that's going to be, you know, the reason why people and also Lockett's been playing better. You just have like all these things thrown together. And it's like, look, yes, in the past, 
Patrick Peterson has had DK Metcalf's, DK Metcalf's number. Yes. No, he hasn't. No, he hasn't. Russell Wilson has been afraid of throwing his way, which is dumb of us <laughs> yes. because he's been in that division. Yeah. So Ugh. regardless, the, the production hasn't always been there because of Patrick Peterson or whatever, him covering him, him not forcing the ball to him with <laughs> Russell Wilson. Either way, it's it's a reason why people won't want to play DK Metcalf. And the fact that he's also not been as good as Tyler Lockett, but just seeing his like price underneath Lockett, I don't know. I just, I just get that. Like that, like kind of, I tweeted out like a gif of uh, the Michael Jordan thing with DK Metcalf's face on Michael Jordan. Me like, and I took that personally because he's cheaper than Tyler Lockett now. And we know that DK Metcalf is the superior player to Lockett as good as Lockett is. We know that from a talent perspective, I think that Metcalf just has that higher ceiling. And I think you can have a boom week. I'm going to bet on this uber talented gargantuan wide receiver against a 31 year old cornerback every single day of the week, including Sundays, especially with Russell Wilson, you know, at quarterback. So the roster ship has Lockett as the more rostered Seahawks wide receiver. And I think that makes sense, but that's why I want to go to Metcalf. Like most of the time we really only see one, one of these Seattle receivers boom. And the first two weeks has been Lockett both times, but the target share has been basically even across the board. It's been Lockett's just been getting those big plays and getting those air yards where last year Metcalf led the team in air yards. So I think that we're going to see it kind of reverse a little bit, go back to Metcalf and I'm going to think that the Metcalf can beat Patrick Peterson. Like, sorry if that's a hot take. Like Patrick Peterson, <laughs> when Patrick Peterson was targeted last week, he gave up a perfect passer rating, 158.3. Like he's not some like stud. I, he's way past his prime. So I have no problem going back to Metcalf, especially when he is lower rostered than his teammates. So I like going with him. Um, okay, let's, a, yes. Great stuff. I just want to continue to get stuff off my chest here. I think Metcalf should, you said last week in it, you know, I think he had eight catches for 80 yards. Last week, you were saying, like, every tournament lineup, let's get C.D. Lamb in there. I think that needs to be D.K. Metcalf this week. Okay, Peterson has, quote-unquote, shut him down. In those four matchups, Metcalf has received four targets. One target, five, and five. Now, we need to consider that, but people, these are completely different defenses. That was with Peterson legit shadowing Metcalf. In two games with the Vikings, they have not moved Peterson away from his spot as the left cornerback. You know who's been shown on the other side of the field? PFF's single worst cornerback, Bashad Breeland, who actually made A.J. Green look like anything other than dust for the first time in maybe three years. So through two weeks, Bashad Breeland and Patrick Peterson have been targeted 19 times. They have allowed 15 receptions, 266 yards, five touchdowns. They are yet to touch a pass between them in terms of interceptions or pass breakups. Like this is the matchup to target DK Metcalf needs to be in your tournament lineups of all shapes and sizes. I yes. hit me up with some AJB goodness, yes. Andrew. Appreciate he let us down, let us down last week. But. I appreciate the backup there, Ian, with the DK Metcalf. I love it. Hitting it home. Uh, with AJ Brown, look, again, he's had a case of the dropsies. It's okay. It, it's not a reason to panic because drops are not predictive and it's a past performance and it doesn't matter. Like we talk about this with Deontay Johnson all the time. Like Deontay Johnson is really good. And that's why he drops the ball because he gets open all the time. And look, that's why AJ Brown's left a lot of production on the field. He has three drops this season. Two of them have come on like 20 yard uh, pass plays down the field. So he's actually like, missed out on a lot of big plays. And, but we know that that's not predictive. We know he's averaging eight targets per game, which is really what matters over two straight weeks, which is pretty high for AJ Brown's standards. And he still has tons of air yards, 16th highest air yard share in the NFL. If you look at the two highest scoring players the last two weeks, Ventire Lockett and Cooper Cup, what do they have in common? They both played the Indianapolis Colts, who just happens to be the defense AJ Brown is going against this week. Both of those guys operate out of the slot a lot of the time. And AJ Brown has seen half of his targets when lined up in the slot this season. So Ooh. we know that Brown 
has this big playoff side. And we know that it's usually going to be, going to be kind of similar to the way that Seattle operates. You know, it's, it's usually going to be AJ Brown week or Julio Jones week. Last week was Julio Jones, but the bigger week. So I expect it to be AJ Brown. I mean, at 6.4 K, like, I mean, that's way, 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 way too cheap. I I'm going right back to AJ Brown. I know he let us down last week, but I don't think he's going to do it two weeks in a row. This is AJ. This is the biggest AJ Brown <laughs> podcast in the universe. He will not let us down. People always have these, like, they write off AJB after one bad game. I'm old enough to remember last year when he dropped that 70-yard touchdown against the Colts, and people were legitimately afraid to play him in the next indie matchup because of that. And, like, by the time the first quarter was over, he had had one of those patented, you know, 10-yard crosser that he then busts for a 70-yard score and just erases everyone's pursuit angle. So all the AG, AJB and Metcalf. Let's talk a little bit about tight end. Uh, yeah, I can thank James O'Shaughnessy for freaking losing me a lot of money last he week. Was was on, not, he was going to hit, too. He was so going to hit. Oh, my God. And three <laughs> snaps. He played three snaps, and he actually didn't goose egg. He gave us a 24-yard catch. Like the, I, I almost wish he would have goose egged. It would have been easier to uh, deal with. I, you know, I'm, I'm just kidding. I know he got hurt. I, I hope James is okay. He is on an injured Reserve now, just frustrating when, you know, you get that bad play. Because a lot of times we do overthink the sub 3K tight end. It felt right. It made it so easy to do everything else. That's why, <laughs> you know, maybe uh, differentiating the exposure a little bit uh, instead of too high makes sense uh, sometimes in plays like that. But anyway, looking at this week real quick, if you can get up to Waller, Kelsey, I get it. That's always going to be a good call. I don't think you need to unnecessarily. Famous last words, I, I get it. But with Hawkinson at 5,200 people, like it's this is the Monday night discount of him just really, he shouldn't be priced below 6K in my opinion. 11 targets, nine targets. The guy has caught eight passes in both of these first games and scored in each. And to really be afraid of a Ravens defense that is going to give him man coverage, the same man coverage that led to Derek Carr targeting Waller like 60 times in week one is going to be there for Hawkinson. So with that said, the tight end on the other side of the ball, Mark Andrews also is well overdue for a touchdown at this point. Um, Andrew, I know you have some things to say about Mark Andrews. The final notes I'll add though, if you want to get cheap, we don't have our 2,700 James O'Shaughnessy this week. We do have Austin Hooper at 3,600. Like, we're just going to see. When we saw last year, they had that COVID game where none of the wide receivers were healthy. That's like what we're getting closer to at this point because OBJ won't confirm he's going to play. Jarvis Landry is on injured reserve. You know, it's always a little bit of a who's going to get the catches between Bryant, um, the Joku, and Hooper. But I do think Hooper is the best bet here at 3,600. But you can also even go lower and get to Gerald Everett at just 3K. I actually saw his usage improve last week despite not finding the end zone. We're looking at a game between the Vikings and Seahawks expecting to score all sorts of points. And I wouldn't be shocked, Andrew, if Gerald Everett ends up emerging as this offense's number three pass game option. Like the numbers between Metcalf and Lockett are so bonkers right now. Like they have combined for 87% of the Seahawks air yard like share through two weeks. Like that's not going to be that high continue. Someone else has to catch the ball eventually. And it can't always be Freddie Swain on a completely blown coverage. So Everett, I think, makes a lot of sense at 3K to get exposure to that high-scoring format and hopefully some Russell Wilson goodness. But, Andrew, talk to me about your namesake in reverse, Mark Andrews. Yes, so Mark Andrews, I think the matchup is really good for him. He's still seeing you know, a lot of targets in the offense. He's still running a high amount of routes. His 91% route run per dropback rate is second among all tight ends, only to Logan Thomas. So he's out there, he's running routes and it's just been the Marquise Brown show the last couple of weeks. And that's how sometimes things work when you, especially when you're in a low 
uh, volume passing offense with like the Baltimore Ravens. So I think that we're going to see targets start to reverse a little bit more to Mark Andrews and the Lions have just sucked against tight ends this year and a hundred or 158.3 passer rating when targeted tight ends Sheesh. have. Yeah, it's perfect. You know, you yeah. literally cannot go wrong targeting <laughs> tight ends against the Lions. So I think Mark Andrews in a good bounce back spot here. I think obviously I would want to find the funds for TJ Hawkinson because I think his targets, especially in PPR, are more it's more stable than Andrews, who I think has more upside potentially with touchdowns. If he's you know scores twice, has a big long gain. I think that gives him an advantage in tournaments. And then the, I want to hit on the other trends you mentioned there as well. I agree. I think Austin Hooper, we saw his target share jump from 10% to 23% last week. Obviously, Jarvis Landry played like two or three snaps, and then Hooper was way more involved in the offense. And Gerald Everett, I think he is like the play at tight end that you can feel really good about because people are going to be off of him because they only saw one target. It's like, oh, that sucks. Like he's not involved, but the usage is just absolutely bonkers for Gerald Everett. He's up there with the other tight ends that run routes at such a high rate. You know, it goes Logan Thomas, Mark Andrews, Darren Waller, Tyler Higby, Hawkinson, Kelsey Pitts, CJ Uzma, George Kittle, Gerald Everett, and then Noah Fant. So he's running routes and Russell Wilson is one of the most uber efficient quarterbacks in the NFL. Like, like, only good things can happen when you're running a route and Russell Wilson is <laughs> dropping back to throw. Like only right. good things can happen to your tight end. It's not a case of James O'Shaughnessy where we have no idea what's going to happen when Trevor Lawrence drops back to throw the ball. We know good things are going to happen the minute that the ball leaves Russell Wilson's hands. And if Everett's just has to compete with Metcalf and Lockett and he's that third option because he's now kind of outpacing Will Disley based on what we saw last week. I really like that call at 3K, but I would be hard pressed to not talk about my next Irish name tight end week oh, one no. was week one was James O'Shaughnessy week two is Jack Doyle for the Indianapolis Colts because Jack Doyle ran 34 routes last week, eight targets, 51 receiving yards. He outsnapped Mo Alley Cox 48 to 27. He's cheap. And I don't feel afraid to jam him in. Look, they're going to have to go somewhere with whoever the quarterback is. You're going to have to check it down to somebody. And it's not yeah, going to be to Michael. That Pittman. part kind of, that part kind of matters, Andrew. <laughs> I like Jack Doyle again. I, I've chased routes run for so long with these tight, with these fringier tight ends, and it seems to work for the most part. So I like Jack Doyle. And then, like I mentioned as well, Uzma is also running a route on a ton of Joe Burrow's dropback, 76%, which is top 10 in the NFL. And he's even cheaper than Gerald Everett. He's at 2.7K. So if you really want to dumpster dive, Uzma is out there on the field all the time at 11 personnel as the tight end. Steelers obviously have a good defense. So I don't think you're going to get a lot from him, but he's really, really cheap. And if you really want to pay up at the other positions, I think Uzuma is probably the lowest you can go without one to like, kind of like throw up a little bit when you're looking at your lineup. Jack Doyle is just such like the quintessential, like Jason Witten fall, like 16 year Jason Witten just catch the ball, fall forward. I get it. He I, he can make me look dumb and find his way into the end zone once or twice, just like any of these I just, guys. I just said eight targets, man. Like it's just like you don't just. I don't know, especially because it wasn't like that in week one. Like it, well, it, right. something changed. So why should yeah? So is Naeem Hines going to have just one target like every game moving forward? I don't think so. I know they don't play the same position. <laughs> we can we can both agree. Gerald Everett is the cheap tight end play. Yeah, yeah. Let's he definitely has the most upside because he's attached to Russell Wilson. And okay. yeah, agreed. 
Okay. At least we can we can agree. <laughs> Quickly on the defense, it's not like it's pretty uh, straightforward. We can get the Bengals at just 2,100. Look, like we're just trying to get the cheapest defense possible. It doesn't completely suck. That has a good matchup. So, yeah, they're in Pittsburgh. But if you guys have watched even a couple snaps of the Steelers <laughs> offense this year, been fairly brutal. That's why, you know, even Najee has cheap as he is not someone that absolutely needs to be jammed in that's why claypool is more of a tournament play gotta feel good about the Bengals there the titans facing either a banged up version of wentz or brett hunley or jacob Eason. gotta love that there at 27 or excuse me where are the titans at yeah 2400 excuse me even uh cheaper in the raiders facing jacoby Brissett. I don't think you need to go all the way up to the Raiders. You know, credit to Max Crosby. He's having an incredible start to the season. But Cincy or Tennessee, I think, is giving you the better kind of quarterback matchup. I don't think Jacoby is as bad as uh, he kind of looked last week. Just a rough spot for him. He's usually a little bit more of a a game manager type talent. I don't think is necessarily the sort of atrocious backup quarterback we need to be targeting. Only other points I would bring up here. Cardinals get Trevor Lawrence. Uh, Yeah, he's been awful this year. And I think, you know, in tournaments, paying up a little bit off of these cheap guys could differentiate it a little bit with that same thing in mind. Cleveland, I think, makes a lot of sense. As much as we're not worried about them, Andrew, Fields has that same issue that he had in the preseason that he had at Ohio State. You know, quote-unquote issue. It's just kind of the way he plays sometimes. He's holding the ball so long. We could still see Fields put up good numbers, good rushing numbers, throw for a touchdown or two and take a bunch of sacks from Miles Garrett and company. And then finally, if you can find a way, people, maybe just in these contrarian Javante Williams lineups, go up and get the Denver Broncos defense against an injured version of Zach Wilson, who just, you know, looked pretty shell-shocked at some, for large durations of uh, last week. So the longer we can take advantage of Zach Wilson looking like a rookie, the better, I believe. So before I throw it over to you, Andrew, for your favorite stack, I just wanted to hammer home my main three points that I think I found while really looking through uh, the salaries uh, today. So yeah, Javante over Clyde Edwards-Alaire to avoid that chalk, better player, better matchup with same sort of touch projections. That's my top point. Uh, Second one is I do believe my favorite sub 4K receiver is KJ Hamler. You're avoiding Osborne, Van Jefferson, Miko, guys looking chalkier. We're still getting a top three pass game option, arguably same upside and a very winnable matchup against the Jets. And then again, if Deontay is out, I do think Chase Claypool at 5,800. Like, I just think he's such a talented receiver. If we can see him getting 10 targets more easily than usual I do think in an easier matchup this week compared to last he could cash those in I mean he might get shadowed by Eli Apple Andrew like we're seeing Eli Apple I think emerge as kind of this year's like later career Janoris Jenkins like the Josh Norman even like Patrick Peterson certain matchups like the cornerback that we just want to fire up receivers whenever they are facing him so that cornerback we want our receivers to be shadowed by <laughs> exactly i think that could be uh eli apple at this point so if claypool can get that matchup i think he could do huge things with it i get the steelers concerns that's why it's a tournament pick that we're trying to take down so andrew now let's talk your favorite game stack giants falcons yeah giants falcons i think that you can stack up this game and get bits and pieces of parts of some of those other high total games because I, I just think that we could see some fireworks with daniel jones kenny galladay saquon barkley can bring it back with Calvin Ridley or Kyle Pitts. A lot of good options there. Like Ridley's going to have to have a good game eventually. Like he's he's too good of a player, too heavily involved in the offense to just not to, to basically just kind of put up underwhelming fantasy numbers. Again, Matt Ryan has not been good, and that's due in part just Matt Ryan may not be the same guy anymore. But if he's still seeing the volume, he's still seeing the targets in the offense, he's still seeing downfield looks, not as often as we like from Matt Ryan, but 
I do think that the Giants is a good contrarian stack and you can add, they're also not expensive. So then if you go with the Giants, you can add in skinny stacks. So you can do a Metcalf, Justin Jefferson type of skinny stack with the Seahawks and Vikings. You can figure out how to pay up for Tyreek Hill and Mike Williams in another skinny stack. So you can get those really high price wide receivers. Cause I think that's really the main takeaway with tournaments is you need four wide receivers, Like you need the four receivers that just boom, or at least three of them that, cause that's, it's so much easier for receivers to get 40 points than running backs. Like it literally took Derrick Henry 40 touches to get to 50 points. Like that's just so absurd to happen. Like just running backs just don't get that ever. Whereas we see we've, we've now seen back-to-back weeks where a wide receiver has put up 40 points. And so finding that guy, identifying that player was Tyreek Hill week one last week was Cooper cup, like finding that player in the high total game, I think kind of gives you the best shot of winning a tournament. Then you kind of have the other pieces fall into place. So yeah, I like the Giants Falcon stack. Few quick injury notes that have come through as the pod has progressed. Dalvin Cook sitting again on Thursday with the ankle issue. DeAndre Hopkins not practicing, not exactly something new for him. Elijah Mitchell absent. We could be seeing Trey Sermon week slowly but surely coming to fruition. Kenny Galladay earned a limited tag on Thursday. Lamar Jackson's absence at first reported to be his hip from flipping into the end zone. Apparently just a stomach bug. So we're feeling a little bit better about that. And yeah, so make sure you all tune in to myself and Dwayne McFarland, usually Andrew, but he's got some wedding uh, shenanigans to go get to. We'll be breaking down all the injuries that get released on Friday afternoon and really, you know, just tuning up everything we said here in DFS and everything we said throughout the week in redraft land as well. So obviously, you know, one injury or two can, uh, as Peter Overset likes to put it, turn the slate over on its head, flip the slate on its head. There we go. And, uh, you know, we try to keep you up to date with all of that stuff. But Andrew... You also, you came to me on Monday, I believe, and you said, I want to talk some prop bets. So the floor is yours, my friend. We got Andrew's big three prop bets of the week, critically acclaimed, you know, in international markets all over the world. Let me know what you're feeling this week, Andrew. All right. So you can check out the article that'll come out on, it'll be out already on the website. It's prize picks. I'm doing it with Ben Brown. So far, I'm in the lead because all of my unders have hit for running backs because all the running backs I've picked have gone inactive those two weeks. So Zach Moss, Josh Jacobs hitting the unders on those guys because they haven't played uh, when I took the under. So shout out to me. Uh, this week, the under for running back is Clyde Edwards Hilaire. So fingers crossed that he even suits up this week. Under 54 and a half rushing yards. I'm taking the under on Edwards. I've already talked about how I'm fading him in DFS in redraft league. So yeah, I'm going to go do the trifecta and fade him in the prop bet here as well. going to go Austin Eckler with the over 53 and a half rushing yards. He's already hit that over twice this season. We've already seen his share of the rushing attempts grow in this offense. They're shying away and the chiefs have been a terrible run defense this year, allowing 5.7 yards per carry. So I like Eckler with the over against a bad chiefs run defense. And then Leonard Fournette over 21 and a half receiving yards. Is he playing on third down? No, but is he getting targeted on first and second down? Yes. So that's why I like Fournette. He's been over that total the past two weeks. And I just think that they're starting to lean on him more and more. The Rams have good cornerbacks. So I do think that they're going to try to feature the tight end and the running backs more in the passing game. So I like Leonard Fournette over 21 and a half receiving yards. People, he has not missed these all year on this podcast. <laughs> has he given them out this year on the podcast? No, but we'll, hey, we'll hold you accountable when you come back next week. So 
Great stuff, Andrew. And before we get out of here, people, I just want to note that week two of football is in the books. Now it's time to review the tape and get ready for week three with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To kick off another action-packed week, DraftKings is giving new customers $150 instantly when they bet $1 on any football game. Listen up because you don't want to miss this. Head Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF to receive $150 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any football game. That's promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania. Only new customers. Only minimum $5 deposit. $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Also want to note the Fantasy Football Podcast is sponsored by Western Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, plan to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow? Western Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. So team out to identify your needs and address your goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. Andrew, you mentioned you got the prize picks coming out. I believe you have a great start sit column on the docket as well. What else can people find find from you at pff.com? The DFS cheat sheet is up on the site live. So you can go and check out all of my ideas, my mindset, game theory, everything behind DFS that I was able to kind of just write into words and 5,000 words or less because that's what the editors have me capped at. So I can't go <laughs> above it or people, they just stop editing and then it just doesn't happen. So I just kind of throw all my thoughts in the plays. I like I'm dabbling in the graphs again. So yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff and hopefully I can use it to, to win some money this week. So that's how your workout conversation went. I do not have a cap. That's how my uh, workout <laughs> conversation uh, went. I, I, I love our editors and they have so much to freaking do. I don't blame them with that. I guess my argument for, and I, I've seen, uh, I won't name names, but uh, certain fantasy analysts have gone out and said, oh, we shouldn't be doing long form writing anymore. Today's age is all about quicker takes and all that. I do think condensing your content content into the most digestible form is important. But I think what a lot of people don't realize is watching the games, writing 10,000 words about this stuff makes you more knowledgeable about the stuff because you have to answer more questions, do more work. Uh, you know, please don't rationalize to yourself that why you shouldn't do something uh, if it's something that is just going to cause more work for yourself. If it makes you better, you probably should do it. I know it's easy to uh, take the easier path out sometimes and try to tell yourself that, no, this is actually better. Uh, there is a time where working smarter, not harder applies. But again, I think sometimes that phrase and other people uh, with that mindset are just trying to make an excuse for not putting in the hard work. So that's my life advice for the episode. Great stuff from Andrew, as always. Again, you can find him on Twitter at Andrew Erickson underscore. Check out all my content as well, pff.com. If you guys want to read one article from me a week, if you're into, you know, reading like the kids used to do, um, please check out my mismatch manifesto. I be it's free. You guys don't have to pay for it. How about that? And I basically take my uh, favorite single notes from the behind a paywall quarterback run back and wide receiver articles put them in one with some cool charts along the way and you i think you'll learn more than a few things and you know i got pretty quirky with it because it's the last article i write every week so like by that point like i'm just brain dead and i'm just kind of throwing some references around and you know we uh we see what comes to the table i'd say it's a little bit more like my twitter than a usual article <laughs> if you're into that kind of thing so thank you as always for listening to pff fantasy football podcast and for andrew i'm ian until next time take care everybody 